In a world where people strive to conquer the digital landscape, the best leaders are moving forward and planting flags. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, where you can hear about the thrill of digital victory and the industry's best guidance on how to win with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. Hey everyone, welcome to the all-new Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, brought to you by the good people at Topcoder right here on the Oil & Gas Global Network. It is still, I'm still calling it the all-new uh, Digital Doers. I know that um, it's been a few episodes now, but I feel like if radio stations can say that they're new for a year or two, then I can keep calling this the all-new Digital Doers podcast. And it is brought to you by Topcoder, and we do love our sponsors at OGGN, because uh, as I always say, without them, there is no us. And without us, there is nowhere for you to go to hear all this fantastic content. Um, there just isn't anywhere. So uh, so show some love to our sponsors, Top Coder, if you're not uh, familiar with them. And by the way, um, we don't just sponsor, we don't just take anybody as a sponsor at OGG, and we don't just let anybody throw money at us. Uh, we only we only work with sponsors that we actually believe in. They're good partners. They're good. They're, they're everything that, that, you, that you look for in a good supplier, and we work closely with them. So they're all doing good stuff for the industry. So Top Coder is no different. If you're not familiar with something called open talent models, then you need to be because it is something that can help you get digital done, which is, of course, what this show is about. Um, also want to let you know that there's new stuff coming out from OGGN all, all the time, not just this show, but we got some other great shows. So go to OGGN.com to catch the latest on that. And also uh, thanks to all the folks who are helping this show get off the ground and the people that are, you know, every every week I look at the little uh, fanometer and the numbers go up. And so thank you to all of you uh, who are listening. And the only thing that I'm going to ask you to do is tell somebody else about it. Um, if, you, if you like the show, tell somebody uh, so that they'll know that this is worth their time. If you don't like the show, then I don't know why you're listening, so don't tell anybody about it. Um, I am sitting here uh, today. I'm at the Fabulous Cannon on the west side of Houston where the sun is always shining and the birds are always singing and the people are always happy. But I'm not out there with the commoners. Today I'm in the very cool offices of Corva, who, who, which has a home at the Canon. I'm here with Corva CEO Ryan Dawson, who um, I feel like we've done a couple things together lately, so I, I appreciate you spending some time. <laughs> appreciate you spending some time, but but welcome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll try not to trip over all of my lines the way I do. Now, I have to, uh, I have to say that Ryan and I have spent an entire three minutes planning out what this conversation is going to be. So, uh, so hopefully, hopefully it's going to be a good one. If it's not a good one, you'll never hear it. So it won't matter. So what, what do we want to talk about that? So first of all, I, I love your space. I said this before on a, on a something else, but this is such a cool, like, like this would rival like the early dot com digs when everybody was trying to have a cool space. Like this is even better than what I remember. Some of those being it's, uh, it's really cool. Yeah. Selfishly, I want to come to a workplace that's actually great too. So, yeah. you know, I want to make that investment. I, I think uh, you spend so much time at the office. Right. Uh, we really need these places to work and be inspired at. And that's really one of the core things. Of course, you, you need to handle the functions of meeting with people, uh, going about your regular individual work. But how do you get inspired? And yeah. that's a big thing that I'm always thinking about. And then how do you build the culture that you want. So Pixar is pretty famous for right. sort of building these offices where you all you had to cross each other to go to the bathrooms. And they got a lot of collaboration done in that regard because <laughs> just everyone would be meeting going to the bathroom. Right. That yeah, that that's true. So this is actually 
it's actually relevant to our topic of, of digital doers because um, some of the things that we get into, and we've only had a few episodes, as I said, but we do get into being successful in digital in your digital initiatives is not just about the tech, but it's about all the other, you know, the, the, the people and how you organize people and how you work and things like that. So what, um, so in that, along those lines, what have you done here? Or what have you found to be like really effective in terms of getting people to collaborate and, and be inspired, as mm-hmm. you said? Yeah, first and foremost, we are in person, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think that's pretty unique in this day and age because so many people are deciding to go just remote all the time or they only have a few uh, meetings a year. I'm a big believer that collaboration is happening in person so much easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, just just as an example, when I come in every morning, I may, may cross 15 different people and have those conversations versus had I had to schedule those out on Zoom um, that that would take you know two days to accomplish. So yeah. uh, you know, first and foremost, you know, just in this day and age, I think you know, getting people into the office to talk and and collaborate is a, is a really big thing. I think it can happen remotely. It's just I I don't have a great framework for that. So you know, unless you've spent the last you know ten years thinking about what that great framework is, um, it, there's really a, a tried and, and trusted way. Um, in, in terms of you know, digital, how do you, how do you sort of make that happen? Um, we all kind of need to come back to the concept that we're building software for humans. So we want to always be human centered. And that's like the biggest thing you need to keep coming back to. If you're in that space, it's just, we're not designing for users. We're designing for people. And I know the software industry uses that word user a lot. And I, I catch myself using it a lot because it's just sort of the, the, the industry lingua franca, but I we I always want to kind of rebalance that as like, these are humans, these are people, let's give them right. names, let's talk about John and Joe versus user two. Yeah, yeah, no, that's really good. I, I think, so backing up to your thing about people bumping into each other and, and collaborating in person, it's true, there isn't really anything, I mean, I know my experience is you miss out on the, um, the cross, you know, bump, you know, on the way to the bathroom or in the kitchen making popcorn, or even just walking over to somebody's desk or their office, and 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 somebody told me one time that the answer to that in the remote world, in the virtual world, is things like Slack, right, um, where we can just message each other. The, the, the difference is, and what I discovered, the difference is that so if you and I bump into each other in the hallway or like you know in the and we're talking, it's unlikely that five or six or nine or 12 other people are going to walk up and interrupt our conversation. We're probably going to get a chance to finish our conversation. Um, So it's productive. But on Slack, if you and I are trying to have a conversation on Slack, I'm also getting slacked by like a dozen other people at the same time. And it's like these constant like distractions. And so it's really ends up being not productive that way. Mm -hmm. I think I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, unless, unless I know it's a little bit different sometimes for software developers because they kind of are in that zone, but I I find it to be like, it's much better. Um, I, I would much rather have somebody like bump into me on my way to the bathroom than have like five people trying to like slack me at the same time, just so I can be at home in my pajamas while I'm working. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, Slack is an interesting creature. I've used it for a while, seven, eight, I've, since it first came out. And there's there's all these kind of different like 
habits or, or practices you have there for for one like a lot etiquette, of it, like slack etiquette yeah, yeah for a, for one a lot of teams i tell them put every single thing in the slack message so it, this is just over communicating so everyone in the team can hear it or see it but the problem is you can't go into nuanced conversations there, nor do you want to, because right. I don't want to fill the whole channel with a bunch of like chit chat. And so yeah. that there's like a there's a fine right. balance there of like, hey, when are we going to talk about what we're cooking for dinner tonight versus putting everything <laughs> yeah. in the channel so everyone on the team is in good communication. Yeah. Communication is so hard. I always uh, talk about uh, oil companies. This is the number one challenge is communication, but it's it's probably the number one problem of, of all companies, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, although it does seem to be difficult for oil companies. I mean, we always, um, I always say that every single conversation that we have on every podcast or anything similar to this or the live streams or whatever, um, we're always going to end up, uh, we're always going to end up talking about three things. So we'll probably talk about these three things at some point in our conversation. One, we're going to talk about data. Data is going to come into the, into the picture. The second one is going to be, um, culture. We'll talk, we always end up talking, whatever the problem is, we always end up talking about data and culture. And the third one is silos, right? Like we like, like we love to hate to love to hate our silos in oil and gas. And um, I think that when, as soon as we start, especially in the digital age where we're trying to do things that cross disciplines, um, and you probably see this with, and, and in fact, you're, you're starting to look for other apps to launch onto the Corva desktop, right? So now you start crossing over disciplines and those dreaded silos, and then that's when communicate. People don't even speak the same language. They don't have the same. They don't work the same hours, right? They mm -hmm. don't. It's it's very different. Mm -hmm. That that makes it hard. Yeah, silos are huge. Um, there are initiatives in the industry to de-silo on a large basis. So, for example, let's connect all of upstream. In my limited experience in life, I have never seen anything work like that. You know, this yeah. is just not how, yeah. this sure. is not how software is built. This yeah. isn't how systems are built in the world. Right. So I don't have a lot of hope in that, although hard, happy to participate if that happens. But, you know, Corva, I think where you do, ha you sort of have to, what is the, these quotes are essentially, you have to invent the future. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, the best way to predict the future is to invent it. And I think that goes for for anything. And a lot of like what we're trying to invent is is that actual de siloed. But will anyone actually pay for that type of software? If I said, hey, I'm going to de silo your data, I think you'd get laughed out of many rooms. Right. So no yeah. one really wants to pay for that. They want to pay for a, a shorter well. Mm -hmm. You know, paying you know less cost. Right. You know, some, LOEs, right? yeah, yeah, something tangible. Yeah. Uh, the 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 companies that have always pitched sort of these big picture blue sky ideas, um, they they go on a lot of uh, media tours. They get a lot <laughs> yeah. of press. Yeah, but I never see them in two years. Right. I. I'm trying to think of a blue sky idea myself just so I can get that two years of fame and, <laughs> and then maybe maybe I won't care after that. But no, it's true. And people want it's it's because it's too abstract. You have to I mean, sure, you can you you could sit down and connect the dots from this sort of this abstract strategy down to various business results that it's going to produce, but there's a lot of hops in between. And like, there's a certain amount of faith that comes with every one of those hops. And uh, yeah, nobody wants to, but if I, if, if you can say, well, 
if you if you if you implement this approach or this method and we can we can show in pretty short order how it brings your LOEs down in this particular mm-hmm. basin, right? Then then it's mm-hmm. it's a little bit easier. The to problem is though there. of de siloing, of connecting all the data is real, I believe. It is, it is extremely oh, yeah. Yeah. hugely valuable. Uh, it's just that how, how we're going to get there is the biggest question, right? And that's, like you say, that's the side of the coin that almost everyone is trying to solve in, in some yeah, sense. Yeah. But not a lot of stuff coming together. In this day and age, you see a lot of APIs, you see a lot of enterprise right. integrations. Um, I would say it's much, much slower in oil and gas than I see in other industries. But, you know, people are moving in the right directions. It's easier to build yeah. APIs that connect to each other. Um, but, you know, that's that's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, that that's like the starting point in terms of like getting to these solutions that are going to really change our life and how oil and gas is developed. Um, that's that's a little bit further out because we we first got to connect the data. The data has to talk first. Yeah, well, if if we're right now at the stage of building APIs, then that kind of tells you where we are, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we gotta we gotta have people that build, but but it's a step in the right direction. But you guys, I mean, so so this is um, so this is digital doers. We know that some people are getting things at least at least getting. Um, some footholds and, you know, uh, what is it? It says in the introduction to this show, I think it's, uh, she says, uh, moving forward and planting flags. So some people are, um, are making progress and starting to see value, at least in some areas, right? Maybe not the big de-siloization, mm-hmm. but what, do you have any good, like, like, what are you guys seeing? I mean, you're kind of right out there in the thick of it. What are you seeing in terms of the people that are actually like, like like making a difference. Yeah, we've pretty much pioneered uh, a space of optimization in drilling and completions. I think we're, you know, a lot of people recognize us as one of the front runners in that space. And I think um, there's all kinds of benefits you see, but the the easiest is just lower time spent drilling and completing wells. So a lot of times we'll bring this out to the field, whether it's for drilling or completions, and you just put these tools in front of people, and they are so willing and ready uh, for extra information and data to do their job better, and they just take to it so quickly. So think of a tip, just think of a scoreboard. If you put that up, now I have the ability to actually see what the score is, and that, and yeah. that could be any type of time, any type of operation during the field, people want to naturally beat that. They want to do better every day. And so that's something that we're seeing. So we actually have, we have about a hundred different apps across drilling and completions, all focused on optimizing time, uh, every sort of aspect of these operational. And one of them is a leaderboard. And so Mm. we actually can like compare different crews to each other. And there's lots of competition going on right now between various or within these companies. And so I think that's pretty interesting because that's adding a nice uh, gamification uh, to our uh, sort of maybe the boring, uh, you know, work life that we had. And I, I think that's really interesting. And so, you know, it's not just something that we go out and say, hey, guys, let's create a competition, right? They just—that's what they're doing. They're playing fantasy football, uh, and and you know why not? Why can't we uh, gamify yeah. these crews against each other? That—that's uh, another good point. Um, I feel like we could have a whole another discussion on what it's like to have a hundred apps and manage and manage a portfolio of, and 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 all of that. But what? Um, 
but so are those a hundred of your apps, or is this the whole ecosystem? Correct. Uh, it might be even more. So we produce we produce quite a few every uh, every quarter. But yeah, it's uh, it's about sixty five drilling apps and thirty five for completions. Now we are moving very rapidly into this space, uh, and we've talked about it a lot. Which is Corva is now opening up to everyone. Right. So we have lots of operators building apps in Corva. I think that's pretty neat because these operators have always wanted to build. You know, that's always the typical yeah. decision, build yeah. versus buy. Some of them, some of them for sure, if, if they can do it easily and effectively, mm-hmm. right? And what we're saying is we're going to give you all the infrastructure. And it's kind of not always visible what is the infrastructure we're giving you, but it is a lot. And then we're talking about, hey, we're going to give you really good data quality to do that work. I've heard many times people have come to us and said, we've had a data science team for drilling for years. We haven't been able to do anything. As soon as we connected to your API, we were actually able to do something. Um, So really great, encouraging feedback. I just think we have to take it so much further. Um, But where the Dev Center is really taking us is, okay, now these operators can build their own apps and there's tons of IP out there for all kinds of uh, logistics for uh, engineering calculations, you name it. But then you, let's bring in the contractors. Let's bring in the service companies. Let's bring in the startups. And then that's how potentially we can get all the data to talk yeah. to each other. Yeah. Okay. So when you, so as you talk about all that, um, I'm thinking about something that comes up a lot in these discussions, which is, um, so we the digital transformation effort has been ongoing in oil and gas, at least, you know, I guess we started taking it seriously, what, four or five years ago, something like that. Um, but one of the things, uh, and, and so there's no shortage, it seems like, there's no shortage of innovative things that can do potentially, that can do things that create value, right? Like all the stuff that you were just, but what there is a shortage of is getting those things like out of the POCs and kind of out of the lab and actually being able to deploy them and operate them at scale in complex environments, right? Geographically distributed and and with all the, like that seems to be the thing where people are tripping and it takes a long time. So, um, so when you describe all of that stuff that you just did, immediately I'm thinking, okay, well, that sounds cool, but if I'm like, how, how do we, how easy is it, or how does a company, how, how can we successfully get not stuck in POC hell, basically, is, the, is, mm-hmm. is what's happening to a lot of people? Yeah, first and foremost, I think it's about iterating and build, building quickly. So if your timeline for this product is 18 months, well, that's a large investment uh, to see if that actually works. Sure. Now, if I, if I'm being honest, and I've seen a lot of these big service companies, they have these timelines of three years, sure. five years, seven years. Uh, in the software world, if you go to Silicon Valley, r- really, the, the, they don't even approve projects that are more than three months. Right. You got to have an MVP yeah. pretty much <laughs> as when you walked in the door, right? You have yeah, to exactly. Have, so it's yeah. like, okay, let's shorten, let's shorten that down. Let's shorten down the time to actually build it. Um, let's build on more things. Um, proof of co- proof of concepts are very hard. I've talked about this a lot in the early stages of Corva when it was just a few people. You're talking about, okay, we have to sell to oil companies who actually expect this to be 
perfect in a sense. Now, that's just because they're enterprise level companies. Right. And so there's so much that has to go into what is the service quality. Because I'll tell you, the, the, the guy or the girl on the rig or the, the, the frack fleet, they, they don't necessarily care about your science experiment. They no. care about like, no. all right, my company has bought something. They told me to use it. I'm, maybe I'm part of this proof right. of concept, this trial. Um, I, I'm going to expect it like that. And um, it's got to be pretty good. So there's a lot of like things in this oil and, or in the oil and gas business that are very interesting and specific, which is you, you got to like, you got to cross a few speed bumps that you don't have to do in other industries. And, and that's hard. Um, the one thing that I also believe is you got to have great user experience. So again, going back to human design for them, make them love the product and then they'll use it. Yeah. And so a lot of the software you see out there, it's designed, hey, this is for an engineer. That's all they need. We just need to show the data. That's great if you think like that, but I just think they're not going to use it that often. Yeah. Yeah, using it is kind of key to. Mm -hmm. um, um, yeah, it's, it's a good point. I think uh, we, we. You make a good point about it. Deploying new software capabilities in most oil and gas companies is not something that they can just do willy nilly, right? There's a lot of. You know, there's there's all kinds of uh, of change management considerations and supportability considerations and security and and how are we gonna like sure you could deploy this thing but how are we gonna manage it right how are we gonna mm -hmm. roll out patches how are we gonna roll out updates like how are we all, gonna train all, people all, all, tra train people exactly so what what um do you, when so when when you're working with customers and they're looking at um, either either deploying the apps that you have or building their own stuff on top. Um, how does the whole like infrastructure planning and, and kind of, uh, or IT management component, like do you get involved with that and help them think through that? Or do you give them sort of like a, like how does, how, how do they do that successfully so that they don't get tripped up there? Well, for us specifically, everything is cloud-based. So there are security considerations and we're becoming sure. very good at handling security and it's actually one of our core values is security but a lot of that you know if if you are a smaller operator and you don't want to go through a security audit you can actually deploy corvin a few hours to your rigor flag fleet so that's pretty quick so the, um, the app, i mean so it's cloud-based but you still got to get the data right from the from the yeah but so that the data is coming in real time so provision us to your wetsml server starts getting your service providers to send us data and we're ingesting that so yes, there there is some data that could be put in, but a lot of that we built automated tools to ingest that very quickly. Okay, so, so you're, we, ju you're just tapping into the data feeds essentially that are already available. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I think all of this goes back into, are you introducing any friction? Our job, every mm. software that's selling out there's job is to reduce friction. So if you have added any friction in the process, you are going the wrong direction. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, so talk about that a little bit. Friction meaning, like, what kind of friction? Uh, how hard is it to log into my software? How hard yeah. is it to get the app? Okay, those are pro probably the minimum. But like, do I have to enter any data to get started, or do I open it and I'm ready to just right. do what I want to do? You know, that's that's friction in its simplest form. It sounds kind of utopian when you describe it that way, right? Like, yeah. Like, I think you should think about the business in all aspects like that. When someone wants to buy your software a certain way, 
and you want to sell it a different way. Let's, for example, in, in all the other areas of SaaS, they want to sell yearly s- subscriptions. Right. Um, everyone in the oil and gas wants to buy monthly. Right. So if you want to sell yearly, you are going, you are adding friction to the buying process. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so, you know, all of these things add up. But the the biggest thing, you know, we focus on is just removing it from the software process. And it's not to say you don't make mistakes. There's not friction. But it's like every day you're you're looking to reduce that, to remove that friction. How can I more easily do what I'm trying to do? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, I think even internal development teams can introduce friction, right? Even though there's not it's not a transaction with outside provider, um, mm-hmm. but they can still introduce, um, uh, you know, kind of like what you were saying before, right? Like you're producing this for people and you want them to use it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this all really kind of goes back to like good standard software development mm-hmm. practices. Yeah, although right? that's like the hasn't always been taught. So what is the user experience part of it? Hasn't always been taught. Even if you're like a master developer, this stuff isn't like necessarily super common sense. Uh, does the iPhone have a user manual? I don't know, <laughs> but I, you don't need you don't need one. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, that is very true. Okay, so so that's good stuff. What about um, maybe let, let's shift gears a little bit and look at so for the people who are deploying these capabilities successfully. Um, you know, in, in the context of Corva, your customers, um, like what kind of business value are they seeing now that, you know, um, because that's another, it's another hurdle, right? Is people are like, if we, if we do all this, um, everybody is something else I've noticed about this industry is we put lots of effort into the ROI study upfront to decide if we're going to do something, mm-hmm. but we don't always like do the look back to see mm-hmm. if like the value, we actually realize the value out of that thing. So mm-hmm. do you see, do you see people that are saying actually measure, being able to measure the value that they're getting out of these yeah. efforts? So here's a really good example. Right now we're doing a lot of offshore work. We're expanding very rapidly through the offshore world. Uh, they get these geological logs, right? And forget about that; it is a real cluster uh, yeah. to get all that yeah, set yeah. up and right. everything that's going on. Well, usually they have to send it back to their home office, and they collect all this data. They send it back to the home office. Then these geologists of of various degrees have to go analyze it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is after they've been sent it, and then they have to respond. And a lot of times this is like, hey, do we need to stop drilling here or do we need to keep going further? Right. So they're like the formation evaluation questions. Well, on an offshore rig, and specifically, we are creating a lot of tools that ha- let you do this in real time. So mm. the value is $50,000 an hour. That yeah. is the exact <laughs> yeah. value yeah. of that rig. And we can measure that pretty pretty easily right um sure so it's funny that because um so those geoscientists they do the work up front during exploration right that says this is what we think Mm -hmm. the underground looks like right in terms of the formations and you know and they do all the porosity and like all this to 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 say initially they they do the seismic interpretation right and then they and then now they're looking at the reservoir to calculate like what what it's going to produce and what the flow and the simulations right and then you start drilling um and the results are never as was originally like 
like the actual reality is never what the artist rendition was in the first one because because it, it, and everybody knows like it's an upfront guess right like yeah. this is our best guess well now that we're drilling we actually have like ground truth right so now that we have ground truth um and we see that it's a little different let's act on it mm-hmm. and that right there has been a problem that the industry is trying to been tackle for a while typically in the context of what they call closing the loop, right? We want to take that data and we want to bring it back somewhere in the process, either back to the reservoir guy or back to the site and, and, and redo all of the work very quickly so that we can make adjustments mm-hmm. in the process. So if I, and that, that closing big loops, closing small loops, right? Everybody, Halliburton's been working on that, mm-hmm. uh, 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 Paradigm and, and Emerson been working on that. But if I, what I heard you just say is, you can just do it at the rig. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, we're digital doers. <laughs> so you can just, so you don't really have to close the loop. You can actually just like, like yeah, just understand what's yeah. happening and make the, yeah, yeah. so that's fascinating. Like mm-hmm. what, so explain that a little bit more. Yeah, like, that's what interesting. Cause like if you were to get into oil and gas software, you'd say like, I need to invent something really complex and interesting to add value. And the, the, what I'm presenting there is, is pretty common sense. Hmm. You know, I'm just, we, we need this in real time. We need to connect the dots done. Um, there's a, there's a whole host of things. And like, we, we get back into our earlier discussion around the silos, like what real time data are we not ingesting? What tools on the, you know, out there on these rigs, these offshore rigs, what have you are not actually giving us the data we want. Like there's, there's so much further we can go. We're just like, sort of stuck in like what we're given, not, not just Corva, sure. but just the industry. Um, sure. Sure. But okay. So I'm trying to, I'm actually like processing this as you're talking about it. So I'm thinking about, okay, one of the things that happens in trying to close the loop and, and, and re and, and guide the drilling process differently is we have to go back to like, like the dynamic model or we have to go back to the static model and we have to like, you know, update the data and rerun that model and get the new results. And so are, are you talking about like shortcutting that loop and basically being able to, to, um, to, 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 to adjust and compensate on the fly? Yeah. The oh yeah, exactly. I think Corva was founded under that premise, which is dynamic operations. I don't, I, so, there's this kind of this saying that once you see the future, you can't unsee it. Yeah. I feel like I have seen the future and it is real time. Everything. Some people will disagree with me, but I just, I have seen the future. I've seen the benefits from it. Um, every piece of information, every piece of data will be real time. Uh, decisions will be made in real time. The algorithms will run in real time. Uh, there's so going back to other tools we have torque and drag if if there's any drillers listening uh, this is a pretty common one I think for most of the industry's existence so people started doing this by hand then it evolved into there was software but there was so much manual intervention into it what we introduced was this thing that you just open a website and it is ready there with interpretation there's no requirements to to upload a bunch of data to do a bunch of massaging to change anything that yeah it's it's like that 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 is the future now yeah. um you can't unsee that I, any mm. customer that's used that from core torque and drive there's no unseeing it there's no going back on that so it's just like a question of like all right 
what else can we do there? And I just, I just think workflows are going to evolve to be real time. Like you have this extra data now, those are, you're making better decisions with that. So yeah. whether it's the geoscience of these offshore formations or, or what have you. So interesting. So we could probably do, we ought to do a whole tech show or I guess tech show more on that technology itself and dig into that. Cause that is, um, that's really fascinating in the context of, um, and probably controversial, but in the context of digital doers, we're trying to give people some, um, some insight as to how to be successful. I think if the other thing that I just heard you say is, um, and is, is to think differently, right? Like you, like you really have to, and, and we say this all the time, you know, we like thinking outside the box that that one's been, been trampled on for a long time and, uh, or, you know, what's some of the new things that some of the big management consulting firms like to say, reinventing workflows and, but what you're describing is really thinking differently about the business and embracing like a whole different concept mm -hmm. and then, and then running with it. Is that, I mean, that's kind of the, Oh yeah. How, or, or how did like, right, right, how right. did you get into, so how does somebody who says, yeah, I'm tired of trying to like do things like uh, have a fancier way to do the same old stuff, the same old way. I really want to do things differently. Like how, what, how do I, how do I think about that? How do I approach mm -hmm. it? I've always wanted some hardware company to be the SpaceX of rigs where they basically tear apart everything, start from first principles and say, what is required to yeah. construct a well or a, a well bore a hole in the ground you you could go into completions as well in production but like what 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 is required from the base level and like can we reinvent that in a different way maybe you only need half of the resources to do it i don't know it's not really this this fear that we 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 spend a lot of time in but we do think about it from the software side and th there's still people that are used to doing it the same way there's always going to be people like that but it's quickly changing so what happens is like change is the way that change works if you study innovation is change is slow until all of a sudden it's fast until it's not slow right yeah, yeah and yeah, then it's yeah. like the whole world changes overnight i think that is you're going to see that you're going to see that with electric cars you're going to see that in various regards I think one of the biggest things right now is what is the change in the oil and gas business? So there's all these competing narratives. For example, um, what where where is the role of renewables in the future in a world where we can't uh, produce? You know, have we don't have enough energy with with what we're doing currently? What is the role when nuclear is on the way out? There's all kinds of avenues you can go. Right down right. there um but one thing you got to know is like change change is going to happen and so there's the people that are you know on the forefront waiting for that to react that i think are going to succeed it's going to take bold visionaries to sort of get in this industry and really move it to where i think the future is which is very savvy it's very digital oil and gas they sort of invented big data but they were not the leaders in big data at all after yeah. that, right? So yeah, yeah. who's going to bring that back and say, this is an industry that we want to be cutting edge. We want to really show the world that oil and gas people are savvy and they know how to provide the energy of the future. And so, you know, it's it's we can't have dichotomies. It's going to be a blend of a lot of different stuff, but 
uh, I think you're exactly right that it's, uh, you know, it revolves on data, breaking down the silos and the culture. And the culture, yeah. That actually is probably a really nice place to uh, kind of wrap up. Um, good, yeah. It That picture, though, you think about that. Um, yeah, we might be right on the cusp of that because, um, because typically what happens is right before... So, uh, you know, change is slow until it's not, right? Mm-hmm. Then, it, then it happens. And usually right before that point where it's not, like, things get really chaotic, right? And and there's a little bit of that going on right now. I don't know, maybe it's going to get more chaotic, but it feels like people are scrambling, people are running in different directions. We got we got new, younger people coming into the mix. We still got, we still, that, you know, that generation that was supposed to, that, that crew change that was supposed to happen and it still hasn't really happened because yeah, all exactly. those guys are still like working, right? Like if, and if they're not, if they're not on staff anymore, they came back as, as contractors because we could, yeah, like we're in kind of that chaotic state right now. Mm-hmm. Do you think, isn't that sort yeah, of? Yeah, we're in the, the state of, we're, we're also letting in the culture of innovation, Right. And so, you know, we're finally. And once you open that, that door, like yeah. it's not, you can't close it again. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Right. I think, and then you see all the pressures financially, everything that p- companies have gone through. They have to think differently financially and just asset wise and what yeah, is yeah. the future. Right. All the decision frameworks are out, risk frameworks have been changed, everything. Right, right. No, that's a good point. Uh, so it's going to be, I think it's going to be interesting over the next couple of years to see what, to see what happens. I would love to do, um, we should probably, that was a nice, that's a nice kind of note to finish on. Um, but we should come back maybe. Um, and I know you're busy, like you're running a company and all that, but, but we could do a, we, I don't think we, we haven't had you on the, on the tech show, right. To talk about the tech, a little bit more about the technology itself. And you're kind of in this new, um, like you're now just beginning into this Corva for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody. And is that what the, you had a, an event here recently, which I, I wasn't able to make because I was traveling, but, um, but it went well, I heard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And Corva's mission is to accelerate the future of oil and gas. So I think the way concise. that we look at this is if we help sort of create a culture of innovation and, and let this flourish, we have added to the industry. We've added our part. We've done our part. And hopefully we're looking to go much more, but that is like the measuring stick. Yeah. It's to accelerate the future of oil and gas. It, I'm not sure that's a very good mission statement because it doesn't have enough words and phrases and, and like tricky punctuation so that we can try to get in all the things that we wanted to say in our mission statement, right? Mm-hmm. You know, where you put like 10 people in a room and they spend all day. So, but you can see I remembered it after like you said it one time, which, you know, mm-hmm. it, it has a nice effect. The job, you know, one of the primary jobs of a company is to get a unified mission. Yeah. If you get everyone working in the same direction, you can really accomplish great things. Right, right. Okay, good. So good advice from Ryan Dawson from uh, Corva here in the beautiful Canon on the west side of Houston. Um, and uh, and we're going to wrap up for today. I just got a couple of more things here I need to comment on. But Ryan, thanks again for Thank you. making time. And um, we will we'll try to do a, a tech show episode here and talk a little bit more about that technology. This, however, is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers show and uh, as i mentioned it is sponsored by our friends at topcoder if you're not familiar with topcoder you got to check them out topcoder.com um and uh or you can go back and listen to the very first episode of this 
uh, podcast because Clinton Bonner is on there with me and we're having a good time talking about a bunch of stuff, but you will learn a little bit about Top Coder in that conversation. And, uh, and there's a lot that they can do to help you um, execute some of these, uh, some of these kinds of efforts like, like Ryan and I were, uh, were just talking about. Also, if you haven't joined the street team, the OGGN street team, then you need to join the OGGN street team. That's all I'm going to say about that. But uh, if you're not on it, then you're missing out. So get in touch with Mr. Brian Mon. That's M-A-H-N. You can find him on LinkedIn. There's a there's a LinkedIn group for the street team, and they are getting revved up. Uh, of course, we got a lot more going on here in Houston. We're beginning to do live events again. We got the OGGN happy hours coming back. So lots of stuff going on there. Have a look at the street team. Look at OGGN.com. You get on the mailing list. You can you know we can we can inundate you with uh, great stuff that that is happening here. Um, that's going to wrap it up for today. As always, thanks to our audio fixer guy, Mr. Mac Roman, who makes us sound fantastic. And now the next thing that you are going to hear is Savannah Wilson, who's going to tell you about our upcoming events. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGM, and here are the events on deck for June 2021. This month, we have six events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events that I talk about here. We even include events that occurred two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting two events. One is online, and one is in person. For our online event, we're hosting a live stream titled Deal Value Creation, M&A, and ONG. This is going to be on June the 2nd. And for our in-person event, we're relaunching our happy hours. It's been far too long since we had a good happy hour, so I'm sure plenty of you will be excited to hear that our next happy hour will be at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on June 24th. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts and network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. We hope to see you there. Other than OGGN's events, we have two in-person and two online events. First up, we have our two in-person events, which are the Energy Capital Conference on June 2nd at the Omni Houston Hotel and the U.S. Police and Fire Championships from June 10th to the 21st. The Police and Fire Championships will be hosted in multiple locations, so make sure to check out our events newsletter for more information about that. Next, we have our two online events, the first being the Post-Industrial Summit Series. This event actually started on May 4th, but it'll be ending later this month on June 22nd, so there's still plenty to see. And our second online event is the Big Data Industry Summit from June 9th to 10th. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for June. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Come back next week for yet another exhilarating expedition into the very real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry. A production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.